So welcome back to another edition of the Impact Sessions with me, Nick Bramley. This week, I've got an absolute titan of the Leeds and West Yorkshire manufacturing business community with me as my guest. It's Chris Black, Managing Director of Sound Leisure. Brilliant story to tell. We've entitled this week's episode, The Global Success Story of a UK Manufacturing Business and Brand. So without further ado, welcome, Chris. Welcome to the Impact Sessions podcast. Welcome, and uh, nothing like a, a big introduction to set me up there. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I love every, every time I've seen what you do, I really like the uh, the business. I'm interested in, I'm intrigued to find the backstory, and, and I'm, I'm sure our listeners and audience will be as well. So what I always say to my guests is, you know, just give us a, an overview a little bit about Sound Leisure. Um, for those who are watching, by the way, because some watch on YouTube, others absorb it on audio, Chris is surrounded by what can only be described as some fabulous looking product. So just explain Sound Leisure to us a little bit. What do you do? You know, what's the product range? How long have you been going? That kind of stuff. Okay, Nick. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, Sound Leisure was set up uh, in 1978 by my father, Alan Black. And I've been here for 34 years. I work alongside my brother, my wife, my son's here. Um, and we've got probably another six or seven families working here. So we are predominantly known for exporting or for manufacturing, sorry, uh, and exporting uh, classic styled jukeboxes around the world, which are based on vinyl LP, vinyl seven-inch singles, CDs, digitals. Um, as I say, we ship them worldwide. We also have an operating division um, in that, that supplies pubs and clubs throughout the UK, so hospitality sector. So as you can imagine, that's having a torrid time at the moment. We're not having fun on that side. The classic side's flying, um, and we've got a children's play division that supplies what we class as distraction areas into supermarkets, NHS, uh, visitor attractions, etc. Once again, they've had a bit of a tough couple of weeks as well, a couple of months, I should say. Yeah. And the the idea of the business is really is we're a manufacturing hub uh, based in Crossgates in Leeds. We have a metalwork, woodworking. We have a sister company, a vac farming company on site. We do creative developments, both electronically um, uh, on site. So we... We've got a real big setup, really, um, quite a unique setup that you can walk into this building and see woodworkers working alongside metal workers, working alongside electronics engineers, designers, etc. So it's just something that's grown over the years. Um, we've, we've, we're proud to build in Crossgates and in Yorkshire and export around the world, really. Excellent. Well, I mean, in terms of UK manufacturing, I think that the um, global pandemic's given us an opportunity to revisit the strengths of that, and hopefully that's been reflected in you know people valuing the quality and the craftsmanship and the things that go with that. So that's good news. But um, I know from your LinkedIn profile, you mentioned you've been there thirty odd years, Chris. You don't look old enough to have been there thirty odd years, to be fair. But <laughs> that's that. You must you must have an easy paper round. But um, what I'd say to you is, on your LinkedIn profile, it says you started in the business by spending many an afternoon and weekend in the business as a kid. So the question I've got for you to start with is how much did the fact that it was a family business and, and run and owned by that shape your destiny, was there ever another choice, a career option for you as a 16 to 18 year old or was it always going to be sound leisure? 
Um, well, I, I remember my father setting the business up in 1978. I was eight years old. Mm. It's uh, grown from strength to strength. Uh, very, very, look, like every business, it's had tough times. It's had good times. And probably this year, you'd say it's been a tough time again. Uh, but when I used to go down, I used to go down with my father and just kick a ball around in the car park to start off with while he was working on a Saturday morning or a Sunday. Mm. And I intended leaving school at 16, which I did. Um, I'm not an academic and I couldn't wait to get out of there, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I intended being going into painting and decorating and I'm more of a hands-on type of person. Yeah. Uh, driving down York Road one day, and I was telling my dad what I was going to do. And he said, look, come into the business, have come for the six week holidays or whatever it was, 12 weeks by the time I'd taken my exams. With it being a family business, I don't think anybody in the household really gets a chance to sit down and, how can I say this politely, do nothing. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a, it was a case of, well, you've finished school, come down here and get, get stuck in and give us a hand and mm. just see if there's anything that you like doing uh, during the school holidays before you go off and do whatever you want. Yeah. And I got there and I don't know if it was the camaraderie of everybody, uh, not so much to do with it being a family business, but I really enjoyed it. It was the hands-on. I was getting stuck in packing and building some of the machines. And I, I mean, started off being the tea lad. I'm a great, I can brew a great cuppa. <laughs> um, and, and, and literally just moved on throughout the business and just, it's been a long holiday uh, and a great holiday at that. It's been a long summer holiday. I'd have to say 12 weeks. How? What year was that roughly, Chris, that you started? That was weeks? 1986, that was. So, that's long, yeah. That's 20, a long 30. 12 weeks, my friend. That's a long 12 weeks. Okay. So, <laughs> yes. so what was what was it that did it for you then? You know, in terms of, was there one aspect in that, in that 12 week period that, that was the bit that says, I'm definitely not going to do painting and decorating? Was there a, something you did that you thought, I really love this? I think it's just the thrill of actually seeing something. Start off at one end of the factory as nuts and bolts and maybe a bit of wood or metal mm. and progress through and come out the other end and it's playing music and you've got customers who want it and and also probably because the music side of the business although I'm not I don't really know anything about the charts at the minute I sound a bit like my father did when I started I'll be honest with you Chris you and I could not discuss the charts I don't, I don't even think <laughs> I don't even think they have charts anymore Chris so oh, no they know. do they still have charts but <laughs> it's uh, but it's not so much what was going on there I think it's just I mean if you walk around our factory now it's, it's a happy place I mean there's always music playing and yeah. it's like you, if you ever walk in and you go in and there's no music playing and it's like a um, a library. Mm. It feels awful. It doesn't feel right. There's a, there's a there's a I don't know. There's a presence presence in the building it's all the time. Like that's what it is. It sounds like there's an energy about it, and I like yeah. the fact that you know it's family orientated, and there's other families who work there. So that's got to have a. I mean, they say they say you should never work with children and animals. They probably say you shouldn't work with your family as well to a certain extent. But you know, it brings its own. Christmas lunches, Christmas dinners might be quite interesting if you've just had a fallout on, you know, Christmas Eve. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, I, I had a customer here yesterday and they walked around and I got a text message at 11 o'clock last night from them saying, just want to thank you for selling us a machine today. But it was such an incredible experience. Yeah. Not just looking at the machine, but actually seeing everybody in the factory 
with a smile on the face and looking mm. like they're enjoying themselves and, and also the amount of young apprentices that you've got in there. They said, we've come away with a real buzz mm. and that's what we get every day working here. What, what, the question I've got for you, because the, the, the different styles of, 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 you know, jukeboxes particularly, the bit I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by and I've always, you know, I've always liked music, I've always liked jukebox music. You go into a pub in the old days and press it and, you know, whatever the disc used to come down. Just the, there's something quite romantic about a jukebox. Where do you get your inspirations from for your designs and things then, Chris? Where does that come from? Well, I mean, on the classic side, obviously, it's from the, I mean, the, the, there's some iconic machines out there. Based in, built in the 1940s originally, really by Wurlitzer, the one behind me, if you're watching, the, the dome top machine, probably the most iconic jukebox in the world. Yeah. And that, I mean, they, they built 50-odd thousand of those in a couple of years following the war. I mean, I mean, it really was a production line like you've never seen before. They had trains going in and their own forests and et cetera. Yeah. And it's just trying to find out. I, I put money on that if you asked anybody to draw a jukebox, it would look like that dome top with the bubble yeah. tubes in and all the colours. That's that's the thing most people uh, come up with. Mm. So, and then we do the flat top machines that were from the fifties, and it's just the, the certain things like classic cars, the certain iconic shapes and models mm. that just draw your eye to them, and you, you can appreciate the aesthetics of them, and you can appreciate the the man who designed them originally was way beyond anything that anybody else has done. And they just stand out. They're iconic products. We like to say we refine the iconic models from the 40s and 50s. And that's all we're doing. We're trying to pay uh, homage to them, but bring modern technology into them. Are they Americana predominantly? Is It, it was America, obviously, the home of the jukebox. And Wurlitz is a name I've heard. Obviously, I'm sure most of the listeners who know anything about jukeboxes. It would be the, it would be the quiz question answer. If you're ever asked a quiz question about jukeboxes, the answer would always be Wurlitzer because I don't know anybody else's make. So were they always iconic Americana then, Chris? Yeah, they were. And obviously they they followed a lot of the lines to do with the car manufacturing. And so it was chrome and it was the bright lights. And if you look at some of the models we build now and you look at some of the old American cars with the fins on the back, yeah. if you stand that model of car next to the jukebox, you can see exactly where the design came from. Yeah. So obviously back in the 40s and 50s uh, where America was really bouncing and very out there with the designs and coming into England and Europe, which was probably very staid in relation to what they were doing. I mean, these things came over and just blew everybody's mind. Well, so it's, it's, You're comparing an American car from the 50s and 60s with a, a Ford Anglia. You look at it and go, <laughs> there's a bit of a different design classic going on there, isn't there, really? Yeah, yeah there is, yeah. And I think it's, I mean, what we're doing now is, I mean, we, we do a lot of bespoke machines for people as well now, and that's one way that we're really going. I mean, with some of the machines we're sending out, we're working on two now for a man in Australia, Mm. And he's spending a lot of money having these made. He's having two made. And they are completely his design. He's worked with our creative team. Yeah. So when he gets those in his house and in his holiday home, wherever they're going, mm. he can say, look, there is only two of these in the world or there is only one of these in the world because they're both slightly different. And it's it's just a, an incredible feeling when we're working on projects like this that we're actually knowing that we're going to build a machine we're going to design it with the person that's actually going to work or use it for the rest of their lives. 
then they'll hand it on to their families. Oh, and yeah, we're sending it to Australia as well. Yeah. So this, the, it's well, what's not to like about working with these and with the products that we're making. Well, I have to say your passion shines through as I, as I knew it would. Um, I want to talk about one aspect of when you do product design and, you know, innovation's important, isn't it? Um, and and you, you strike me as yeah. an innovative business. It doesn't have to be innovation just in product design and development. There could be other areas like business processes, customer experience and things. I really like your customer experience of bringing them in and showing them around and walking them through the, the, the factory piece. What, what other areas of innovation, where does innovation sit at Sound Leisure for you then, Chris? I think it goes through every division, to be honest. And it's things like now, while we're in COVID, we're doing virtual tours of the factory. As soon as we got hit and people couldn't come, hmm. um, we still wanted people to buy the machines, obviously. So we offer virtual tours, virtual walkthroughs of the machines. We've had to adapt over the 40 years. So the smoking ban came in in 2007. We were panicking uh, initially because we knew that the tap rooms, which were traditionally where our commercial jukeboxes were sited in the pubs, were going to probably suffer. Uh, people were going more back to watching Sky at home. They could drink cheaper at home. They could. They didn't have to drive. They could smoke, etc. They'd, so they'd have a gastro pub which didn't have a jukebox in, would it? That's, were, that's correct, yeah. In the gastro pub, yeah. That's it. So so what we did then is we, we looked at setting the kids' division up because we'd worked with the pub cars previously doing redemption machines and novelty machines and children. Machine, Sorry, what's a redemption machine? So that's something where you the kids will uh, put money into a machine, they'll play a game, and then they'll win tickets that they can exchange or they'll win a prize. Yeah. So we'd worked on products with Whitbreads and Tetleys going back into the early 90s. And we thought maybe it's with the smoking ban coming in, we could see people would be less inclined to go for a drink, as I say, but the pub company still wanted to keep people going to the pub. So yeah. we just took a bit of a gamble, really. In fact, if we set the kids' division up and we can supply children's play equipment and um, distraction areas, if you want, because although people may want children into the pubs because it will bring the parents, hmm. they don't necessarily want children in the pubs because <laughs> they're running around and creating hassle. So they'll need a diversion for the kids. So we set the kids' division up around that. And until this year, it's been flying. Um, but obviously, all these areas now are, are closed or have been hit. Yeah. But we expect that to come back next year. So that's just another way we've diversified. But look, it's building machines differently, uh, selling them differently, how we operate. It's, it's everything every day. There's something new. And as, as far as I'm concerned, we challenge things every day. And uh, as soon as you stop challenging them, you're going backwards. Okay. What are you most proud of then when it comes to innovation or where innovation is taking the business? What, what's been a, you know, real light bulb where you go, yeah, this is where we've got to. It was a direct result of, of something that we, we, we innovated. Is there any, any examples of that? I'm sure you've got plenty to be fair. Just tons. I mean, yeah, I mean, literally from word go, I mean, I wasn't even here though, but I'm so proud of what they did in the early days from the, the, the formed a business in 1978. By 1982, they'd been working on a vinyl playing jukebox and launched it in 1980. And then within two or three years, Philips and Sony got together and invented the CD player. Mm. And all the work that spent after vinyl had been the car, the only thing you could really listen to music on, yeah. on mass for 100 years, got wiped out within 
well, really, by 1990, that was it. Vinyl had gone. So, yeah. and we had to redevelop, et cetera. So that, that was a fantastic effort by the team. And I think, in all honesty, that's probably where the innovations come from because we've been in a marketplace that you've not been able to sit down and sit back and just think, wow, we've done it. Mm. You've always got to get to that next point because if you don't, what you're building now is out of date within a few years. I've got a question for you on consumer tastes then and, and, and you know things like Spotify and Alexa. Surely they're the kryptonite for your business when somebody can just stream a playlist and you know just just ask specifically for what they want and they can say to Alexa, you know, play me Bruce Springsteen or play me The Cure or whatever. Have they have they had a diff, made a difference to you or have they made people appreciate what you do even more? I think initially we were quite concerned about it. Um, I, I had a lovely moment. We had a pop-up shop in Leeds uh, earlier this year, mm. um, last year in the Victoria Quarter, uh, in Victoria Gate, sorry. And a gentleman came into the, into the shop and really just wanted an argument with me about this point. And he came in and at the top of his voice said, why would I want to buy one of these? And got his phone out and I've got a million tracks on here. And I said, right, okay, fine. So what are you asking me? And he said, well, I just don't see the point. Why the hell would I buy one of these? Welcome well, right. to my pop-up shop for a fight. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, literally it was. So, and as you can tell, I'm quite, uh, I'll, I'll defend our corner. Let's put it that way. So I said, look, right, first thing, connect your iPhone to our jukebox. It's Bluetooth. So he did that. I said, right. So he said, look, right, I'm going to show you now I can select any song. So he got his phone out pressed whatever it was and mm. said, right, there you go, it's playing. But I don't need one of these. So I said, that's fine. Now go over to that vinyl jukebox. Fine. Search through that song playlist. So he sat there for five minutes going through, oh, I like that one. Put that on. Made the selection. Watched all the theatre of the record coming round, selected. And then as the song came on, he had a grin from ear to ear. <laughs> I said, that's why you want one of my jukeboxes not listening to it on digital because digital music will never ever do that it's something music has been um it's just it's just lost all of its presence it's always there yeah. I, I mean i go i've got digital i go home and i'll press spotify or whatever i'll, I'll go on and play something but yeah. it's on in the background while i'm doing something else if i want to listen to music i sit down in front of my jukebox with my glass of wine and i enjoy it and that's what it, that's what it's about. It's the theatre. Your, your iPhone or your Spotify or your Alexa won't move your soul, but no. watching, watching that selection on a jukebox and the mechanism to get the vinyl into the place, and, and I love the idea of this guy smiling from ear to ear, and he was probably hating himself for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it is, and look, we get so many messages. I, I was sat at home on Saturday evening, just moved house, just collapsed, Six o'clock, got a text message from a customer that bought a machine back in June. And mm. she said, Chris, I just want you to know that I've bought this machine in June. It's never been turned off. We sit down and listen to it every day. Mm. And it is honestly the best thing that we have ever bought. Yeah. And I must get 10 messages a week like that. It is, it's the become part of the household and the family. And it brings people back. It, it connects people with music again. I love that. Now, let's talk about global. We talked about global success of your brand and your business. 
So you are a truly global business with customers in many, many countries. Do you know how many countries you service or have serviced? I, I, I didn't, I didn't say that, but... Yeah, I'd say regularly we export to probably 25 countries. Um, And we're up to sort of like 30-odd. We've just sent this week a container out to Japan. Mm. We've just sent one out to Thailand the week before, America the week before that. We've got machines going to France, Switzerland. I've just been on the phone to India just before you called me. So, yeah, so we've... We're yeah. getting out there and we're trying our best to push as far and as wide as we can. Do the Japanese, do you do karaoke machines? The Japanese love a karaoke, don't they? Do, do you do anything that helps them to enjoy the karaoke experience in Japan or is that something different? It's something different. However, on the jukeboxes, there is a facility on the amplifier where you can have it in karaoke mode so it won't fade the music out when you plug the, the microphone in. But it's, uh, it is a different system, really. So, so talking about your global kind of, um, how did you get to grow your business from Leeds, West Yorkshire, UK? How did you get it to grow globally from a marketing and awareness perspective, but also the ability to deliver internationally? What, what was it? Was it gradual or was it just, we'll just do this? How did it work? No, initially it was gradual because, and it came off the back of the commercial side of the business with the commercial jukeboxes. There's, there used to be a big show in London. Well, there still is a big show in London, but in those days it was called the Amusement Trade Exhibition International, mm. which was held at um, Earl's Court and Olympia. And you used to get people flying in from all over the world to see uh, the, the machines, jukeboxes, fruit machines, pin tables, anything to do with arcades. And we used to get people coming in from everywhere and you'd find somebody in Austria who would say, look, I love this. Can you send me 10 of these? And and, and, and literally it just grew like that. Mm. Once we began building the, the classic style machines in about 84, 85, we were lucky enough to get them into Harrods on very, very early on. And all of a sudden then they had people flying in from Dubai to pick a machine up or et cetera. So as literally, uh, initially, we, we set off like that. But over the last probably 10 or 15 years, we had a concerted effort at spreading risk mm. and trying to get into different areas. So if the UK goes down, Germany might be doing well or America might be, et cetera. Yeah. So it was really just a self-preservation thing. And we normally work through distributors in each country so they can speak the language they can offer the support the backup etc one thing we will guarantee is that our machine will break down Mm. because it will last longer than anybody who's listening to this now so if you come back in 40 50 years you'll still want somebody to be able to repair it so we'll use a local person Unlikely to happen. The distributor model is a good, uh, well-trodden path, isn't it, really? You know, have there been some challenges with that in terms of trying to find people who've got the same brand values and the same business ethics as you? Has that been a, an interesting journey, I suspect, on some levels, Chris? It's been a very interesting journey. And for what we do, it's very unique. So you don't just need somebody at the end of a phone who can sell something or have a showroom that can sell something. You need somebody who can actually deliver a machine that weighs 120, 130 kilos. Mm. You need somebody who can then set it up, which isn't a major thing, but Mm. then somebody maybe with mechanical and electronics knowledge. So it's not like we're building toasters where we can just say, well, 
there you go, we'll ship it out to you and just send it straight to your customer. Mm. It needs some expertise and finding the right people in the right country and who understand what we want from a white glove delivery mm. um, when they've bought the machine is is it's hard to find and that that's the most difficult thing. So your distributors then are they do they have showrooms in an area? So your distributor for India might be in Delhi or you might have a couple geographically because it's a big country. They have a showroom that that drives people to there and then they service them and look after them locally. Then yeah. Yeah, that's what we ask for. So each distributor, we ask that they hold a machine in stock at least, depending on where they are. Quite a few of the European distributors hold multiple machines so that if we get a lead, we can just say, your nearest distributor is in Paris. Yeah. Uh, we know we know them ex- extremely well. We know they'll have this selection in and they'll they'll look after you. So it's it's important for us to get eyeballs on the machine if you want because you don't see them in pubs and restaurants as much now so that's another thing we learned from having the shop in Leeds that people just walked past and saw this I don't know this light show going on yeah walked in the shop and literally dropped the credit card on and said I don't care what it costs just send me one because this is amazing yeah forgot how good they were and that's our biggest problem getting them in front of people to see them and so we mentioned that music can do all sorts to you can't it really I'm going to finish later on with a question about your musical taste but no pressure but we'll come back to that (laughs) um so what advice would you give a business, a UK manufacturer, who are maybe thinking about or just early stages of starting to export and, 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 and grow internationally? Is there anything that you would say, this is a golden rule that you must, you know, you must follow or must avoid, either uh, something to avoid or something to, to, to absolutely do? Anything that you say that, that's essential? Well, yeah, I think your first thing is get money up front because you hear so many scare stories of people dealing abroad that... Um, treat people in another country the same as the treat people down the road here mm. and in all honesty there's cowboys everywhere and yeah. I've, I've heard some really sad stories where people have shipped machines or shipped components or built something exclusively for somebody and then not taken any deposit and just being left somebody's disappeared yeah but there's a lot of help out there i mean we're part of the export exchange and um th- there's local councils the uh, Department of Industry and Trade, they'll all help. And there's there's some good help out there. There's people that do care about getting British businesses seen mm. and getting the British UK PLC pushed around the world. We make some fantastic things over here, not just in Leeds, obviously in the UK. And we need to be shouting about how good it is and getting it out there. Excellent. UKTI do a lot of stuff around that, don't they? they yes, or, they do, yeah. EIT, I think they're called now. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, they do the sort of trade missions and research and all that kind of thing. So that, that'd be something I'd, I'd encourage people to look at as well, potentially. So Yeah, well, uh, we've used those in the past. So we've got a few um, customers in France through that, and we've been to America to do exhibitions with them. And the, the support we've had has been fantastic. Mm, okay. Well, we mentioned the global pandemic. It seems to be something quite naturally we can never avoid on the podcasts at the moment as we're recording yeah. um you obviously had some challenges with the hospitality sector you know just shutting down completely then the tiered system are they open are they not open changes in people's you know hospitality habits and not having habits at all 
is there something that you think that you'd done in the sort of 20 odd years beforehand that helped you to cope with this when it all kicked in in the early part of 2020? Was there something you said, not that you were planning for a global pandemic, but things that you that were in place that protected your business? Well, it got a bit worse for me because I actually went down with COVID in March and was out of the business for five weeks. Wow. So I was in bed for probably two and a half weeks, couldn't move. So it, it was a bit of a scary time, no matter what you look at, because because I worked with my wife. She was self-isolating. My son was self-isolating. I worked in the shop with my brother the day before I went down with it, so taking him out of the business as well. Wow. So, look, I look at this year and think, well, we've done well to get as far as we have because yeah. it could have gone really wrong. Um, the operating side of the business obviously shut straight away. We sat back, and especially my wife, Kath, she, while I... <laughs> Well, I was poor, I was sat at home thinking, right, what, what the heck do we do? And started emailing people. And, and in all honesty, we got involved with manufacturing PPE. We got involved with all sorts of things related with COVID, which I can't go into through because of NDAs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we opened the factory up again, not building jukeboxes, but we did all sorts of different products. And A, that got us through that bit. I think... It's just having that no-die attitude, in all honesty. Um, we've still got challenges. We've got big challenges because of all the parts of the business that are closed. Yeah. And if you were to sit back and worry about those every day and concentrate on those, I'd probably be sat here with a bottle of whiskey now. Right. What I'm trying to do is concentrate on the things we can change and the things that we can influence and try and get those through as fast and as efficiently uh, as possible and the team around me of doing the same. Uh, where everybody's put more than their fair share in this year. And uh, I think one of the biggest things to that I've picked up probably from the past is not to panic, sit down, sort of regather your thoughts, try and see through the fog and the mist mm. and get a plan together and just run with it. It changes a lot. I mean, we, we've changed, as you can imagine, but we went home at the end of October thinking, great, the pubs are open and yeah. we can see income coming back and things are starting to look good. And two days later, the pubs are closed and we're back where we were. So, yeah. so look, it's, it, it's never an easy one when you're running a business. It is changing. But as long as you know what your goal is and where you need to get to, mm. you usually find the stepping stones. You might not go in a straight line. You might zigzag around, but hopefully you get there. I love the attitude of focus on what you can influence rather than focus on the things that are outside of your control. Too many people do that and, and it'll drive them you know, into a, a corner where oh, yeah. they can't think about anything else. So, okay. Um, I'm going to ask you, um, are you a vinyl CD or digital man at heart? I sort of think I know the answer to this. If you're a, if you're a music fan, vinyl, CD or digital? Oh, I'll give you a few versions of this one. I love vinyl because it's, the warmth of it and yeah. especially on the jukeboxes there's nothing else like listening to it on vinyl i also love cd because of the selection and the the quantity and it's also fairly decent sound hmm. and the digital revolution i think really helped music but it's also had a negative effect so i've put digital at the bottom of my list vinyl up there first and cd's a, a strong yeah. contender early Okay, and your machines can do both, can't they? In terms of that, yeah. and it's interesting. So, so you can actually Bluetooth your phone to a to your jukebox and play through the jukebox as 
I mean, that, I, that's innovation right there. I'd never have even thought that was possible, really. You know, but that's just, I guess that's a, a response to market requirements, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. And it makes the machines more usable. You can stick an Alexa on the back of it if you want. You can feed yeah. it out into other systems as well. So so it's a modern sound system if you want, but yeah. it's encased in a beautiful piece of furniture as well. You see, it looks, it looks fabulous though, doesn't it? That's the thing. And you can have a design of your own or you can choose a classic and you can do what you want with that then, yeah? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, we've got ones going through now that are turquoise in colour. I've got red ones, anthracite ones, white ones. I mean, when when we finished in March, when we ended up shutting the factory, I had two, what I would call our bread and butter jukeboxes, the standard mid-oak, SL15, a bit like the one in the background. Yeah. That's our everyday machine that people buy. Hmm. When we came back, we have just had probably the busiest four months that I can ever remember on record. And it was only last week or the week before I sold the second one because everybody else had come in for a, a turquoise, red, blue, yeah, green, yellow, whatever, because yeah. everybody knows now they want to match it to a room or make a statement out of it. How long does it take to make one from, from a... So I'm a customer. I'm thinking, yeah. I love this. I'd like a bespoke version of that. What's the timescale then, Chris, on me converting my ambition to having it delivered and in, in, installed in my house? Probably about 12 weeks. Right, Okay. But it's a bespoke piece of kit, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, we we build cabinets and ongoingly build them. Mm. But as soon as you start changing anything, that does add some time. And these things are pumped out by machine, obviously. There are... Yeah. Uh, there's, there's some craftswomen and craftsmen working all day long on these. Worth the wait, Chris. 12 weeks for one of them, I'll say. Okay. <laughs> 100%. So, so I'm going to ask you... I've got a question, top three favourite songs or at least genre or you Now, the, the problem with that is, as a question, it's a bit of a daft question. Depends on what mood you're in, doesn't it, to a certain extent? So well, it does. I'll give you my favourite at the minute because I'm hearing it all the time, which means we're doing well. And it's Fleetwood Mac, The Chain. Yeah. And when I'm in the factory and I hear that record, that means there is a jukebox just coming off its final test and it's going out of the door. So that is the final record we test on. So that is... Is that your test track then, Chris? So if you know that's your final one, you put the chain on there, do you wait, yeah. do you wait, do you wait for the famous Formula One riff in the middle and go... That's, that's it, yeah. That's, that's what they test everything on. Two minutes. Yeah. So once you get that bass, when that's ringing round the factory, you know, great, that's another one out the door. We're catching up. Brilliant. I love that. That's a great, I mean, that's an association. That's what music does. You associate it with all sorts, don't you? You know, in terms of it can take you back to childhood, it can take you back to, you know, happy times, all that kind of thing. So yeah. that's, that's brilliant. So what's next for Sound Leisure? What do you reckon is on the horizon 2021 and beyond then, uh, Chris? What do you reckon? We've got some interesting products coming out and we've been working on something for over 12 months, which will take us down a different line. Mm -hmm. And... I won't say what it is yet, but I'm quite excited about it. It's music related again. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we've been working on it, as I say, for 18 months, really. And we should. We, I wanted to launch it in October, but all the exhibitions were cancelled. So yeah. we've got to wait a bit longer. But early next year, first quarter, we'll be doing that. Look, we've, I think, like everybody, we've got challenges as well. So the, the, the main thing is to get through the next 12 months again um, and sort out internally what's going on with the different divisions and how they'll perform 
nobody knows. I can't even tell you when the pubs will reopen again. So that that's a, a struggle. But looking forward, we've got the new versions of the jukeboxes coming out. And as I said, this new secret weapon of, we've been developing. And uh, look, we're all excited. We we still look for the fight. We're good to go. And uh, looking forward to 2021. And uh, whatever it throws at us, we'll, we'll try our best. Well, I would say, given the attitude that you display for that and given that you're up for the fight and given the fact that it's not an option to give in, I suspect 2021 is going to be a, a really good year for you and, and I'm assuming your customers as well in terms of, you know, looking at the product range that you've got for them and, and what you can deliver. You know, I'm fascinated by the fact that you diversified into the sort of children's distraction models and so there's more to it than just jukeboxes, but they are really the heart and soul of, of what, you know, I wanted to explore with you today. So uh, thank you for that. I'm just going to show the, uh, the, the slide deck for those who watch it on video just to let you know that you can... Uh, watch this obviously on YouTube, but you can download the uh, the podcast every Tuesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, and Castbox. We can't quite get it onto a jukebox yet, but you know we might be working on that with Chris from there. Chris's details are on the contact details there, so it's Chris Black. Um, it's at Sound Leisure. It's Chris Black at soundleisure.com. Website is soundleisure.com as well. Fabulous business. Some really iconic products. Some really iconic kind of beautiful looking pieces of cabinet making as well. So um, I wish you nothing but continued success, Chris. Uh, you know, credit to the Yorkshire manufacturing community, the British and UK community for that as well. Let's knock the socks off them in uh, 2021. So thank you for being a great guest on the, uh, the Impact Sessions podcast. Thank you ever so much, Nick. I appreciate it. No problem. See you soon. Thank you. Bye.